The best healthcare system in the world is the South Central Foundation's NUCA system of care in Alaska. They are the only healthcare system that has won the President's Malcolm Baldrige Award twice, once in 2011 and again in 2017. Countries come from all over the world to Alaska to learn how the NUCA system of care can be so much better than all the other systems globally. Half the cost and far better outcomes. As you know, this going on offense movement that we've been facilitating now for almost a year is all about supporting emotional well-being during the pandemic. Well, I'm very honored to have as my guest panelist today, Melissa Merrick, who oversees quality and clinical improvement for the Behavioral Health Services Division for South Central Foundation. She coordinates quality assurance activities and program development and provides clinical oversight for the behavioral health integration program. We are here to learn from the best of the best today. <laughs> Melissa, welcome and thank you for being with us. Good morning. Thank you for having me and uh, good morning from Anchorage, Alaska. Have a nice snowy morning here for you. Is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Melissa, take a few minutes and just introduce sure. yourself to our attendees. Sure. Um, so I'm Melissa Merrick and I'm a clinical social worker and chemical dependency counselor by training and I've been with South Central Foundation for 14 years. I moved to um, Anchorage, our beautiful state of Alaska, to work in the NUCA system of care. I had been in a uh, different system um, in the lower 48 as we like to call it and um, just kind of felt stuck in a rut and was really inspired by the work that South Central Foundation was doing and our at the time our behavioral health integration program was was kind of in, it, in its infancy, so I had a really nice opportunity to jump in early on and uh, just fell in love with the organization and the work that we do up here. And um, so for the last 14 years, I've held a couple different positions and, as you mentioned, um, currently help support uh, quality improvement and behavioral health activities, uh, primarily within the field of behavioral health integration, so integrating behavioral health into our medical settings. Wonderful. Melissa, will you take a quick, or just give us a quick summary of what the NUCA system of care is and what makes it so much more effective than all the other healthcare systems? Thank you. Yeah, that's a, um, that's a tough question in a little bit, so I'll try and be <laughs> succinct. <laughs> um, so we would really ground ourselves in what we call relationship-based care, so considering ourselves a relationship-based healthcare system meaning that at the foundation of our core values and uh, service delivery is the idea of being in relationship with our customer owners. We intentionally refer to patients as customer owners because they own our healthcare system and we want their feedback and we want their their um, desires for what they want out of their healthcare system to be at the forefront. So in our medical settings, our primary care uh, center is really kind of the, the core of the system where we have integrated care teams where every customer owner is impaneled to an integrated care team that would consist of a, a medical provider, a, a nurse case manager, a medical assistant, and a what we call a case management support, um, kind of like a scheduler or really the team support. And then we have ancillary supports within our medical settings, such as integrated behavioral health consultants, uh, integrated psychiatry, integrated dietitian, and pharmacy. And then we also have a whole host of services um, for um, other health conditions. So dental, a wide variety, a wide array of behavioral health services, really again with the spirit of continuity of care, relationship-based settings. 
And I think we have a, had a really unique opportunity to, to challenge the status quo of healthcare and do things differently. And one of our core drivers is the idea of doing what's right for the customer, doing what's right for the system, and not focusing on payment. So certainly we need to get paid, and we do that, but it's not what drives us. And I think in doing that, we really challenge ourselves to think about care delivery differently. Nice. Thank you. Yes. So describe how South Central Foundation's Nucleus System of Care has responded to the emotional well-being needs of your members during this pandemic. It's a great question, and it's something we're still really trying to, to stay on top of. So at the early days of the pandemic, we really looked at what was our service delivery that could be done virtually uh, via telehealth, and we had some experience with telehealth already by providing teleservices to our rural communities that we provide support for. But then we also looked at what is the core of our system that can't be and shouldn't be delivered by tele. And so we have had all services remained open during the pandemic and um, really grounded in responding to customers' needs. So we created a kind of a menu or a mixture of options where a customer owner could choose to come into the clinic um, for services, as well as um, provide services virtually. So that would include behavioral health services, as well as our behavioral health integration services. And we also did a variety of outreach, and we're still doing a variety of outreach. So we really looked at who are the customers that are not coming in that we haven't heard from and we're concerned about. Um, using some of our data action lists and our quality assurance tools, we, we use those to help kind of prioritize our outreach, if that makes sense. Um, and then we're continuing to do outreach. And then we also um, have done a whole host of kind of educational videos using social media and various platforms to really highlight the importance of emotional wellness um, during the pandemic. So whether it was a video on um, the stress of working from home and parenting from home and schooling versus, um, you know, feeling anxious and scared about the pandemic itself. So again, we've really tried to provide a whole host of menus, a menu of options for individuals but not allowing our relationship-based principles to fall by the wayside. And so early on, that did challenge us. How do you stay in relationship when all you can do is virtual care? But I think we've done it, and um, we did it by making sure people had access to our primary care teams and to all of their healthcare providers. Well, and we know that mental health is the biggest risk factor. Nothing produces more healthcare problems, chronic conditions, healthcare claims than mental health as a risk factor. And obviously, one of the foundations of your program is relationships. And as you talk about trying to be proactive, which I love, I love that idea of instead of just waiting for people to reach out for help, you're proactive. How important is the fact that you are in relationships with people? when you, at the beginning of the pandemic, started to reach out to the people that you weren't seeing and talking to, how critical was that foundation of relationship to being able to be proactive? It's a good question. I think certainly it helped um, because, you know, when you, when you are doing outreach and you, uh, for lack of a better term, kind of cold call people, it, it can feel weird, like, why are you calling me, especially if we start with the topic of mental health, um, mm -hmm. because there's still a stigma in our country around mental health and the importance of talking about mental health. So being in relationship and knowing that we had prior knowledge 
um, of a customer or their family allowed us to call and just kind of do a general check-in. And it, I don't think it felt out of the blue for people either because we are reaching out. We are kind of saying, you know, hey, we haven't seen you in, in, in regular times pre-pandemic. You know, we haven't seen you in clinic for a year. We're just checking in to see if anything's going on. So I think being in relationship really made that outreach easier and also helped customers respond in a way where they were able to share what was going on with them and share whether it was their fears about the pandemic or even coming into clinic. You know, mm -hmm. I do want to be seen, but I am scared. What, what are your safety measures? So I think the relationship definitely helped us um, kind of make end roads quickly. Nice. Yeah. Well, and, and one of the biggest challenges in managing mental health is the fact that people wait on average 10 years before, after mental health symptoms appear before they reach out. And almost 60% of people never reach out. Talk a little bit about how a relationship system like yours can overcome those barriers and the fact that people don't reach out normally. And how does your integrated system allow people to address things early and not wait 10 years? So one of our core values is really um, provide the, thinking of ourselves not just as a medical health system, but a behavioral health system. So making behavioral health at the forefront of everything that we do. And so when you introduce the idea of, um, you know, here's an integrated behavioral health counselor and talking to them about stress, whether that's work stress, marital stress, or an ongoing anxiety um, disorder, just as important as your blood pressure, as your cholesterol, um, you're able to make progress where people, you know, we started our integration journey 15 years ago, and it was um, over 15 years. Customers were somewhat hesitant, but now people just call and ask to talk to the behavioral health consultant. They don't even need to go through their medical provider to do that. And so some of the ways we do that is um, by finding routine ways in which we introduce the idea of behavioral health as being important. So routinely screening for common um, conditions such as anxiety or depression, but also routinely talking about, um, you know, how are you feeling about things? How are you sleeping? So just making it kind of a core component of, of the work that is done in our medical settings. But we've also placed uh, integrated behavioral health consultants in so many locations these days with the idea of no wrong door is the wrong door. So if you're in dental and you're having anxiety around a dental procedure, it's okay to talk to the behavioral health person, and that may open up channels to um, see somebody ongoing or kind of more, you know, more continuous. The other thing I would say is that as our providers remain in relationship, and, and not just our providers, like even our medical assistants, our, our RN case managers, they know things about customers, and so they might hear during checking in, checking them in for an appointment, um, a customer might be more more um, apt to share, you know, I'm feeling stressed about this, and we allow freedom for anybody to grab the behavioral health consultant and just really normalize. Stress is a part of who we are. It's a part of being human, um, and so let's talk about the impact that it has on, on your health and your well-being overall. Nice. So when we talk about behavioral health, there's kind of the element of mental health, depression, anxiety, stress, and so forth, but there's also the huge issue that almost 90% of everything we spend in healthcare can be traced back to people's behaviors. The whole idea of changing lifestyles and changing complex behaviors is, is critical to the effectiveness of an healthcare system. I love what NUCA does in terms of building its system around engaging people in complex behavior changes. Talk a little bit about how your system is so focused on 
it, it's about helping people make those changes and how that works. Absolutely. So many ways that we try and address this. Um, I'll start within the, the primary care, the medical clinics themselves. So early on in our journey of behavioral health integration, we had to make a choice around what is the role that we want our integrated behavioral health uh, providers to play. And we decided that we wanted them to be a little bit of everything. Um, so, so experts and specialists in mental health, but also behavior change, because we know that um, a condition like diabetes is very dependent on, on, a, on the human's behavior, how they manage that. And there's so many things that um, get complex in behavior change. And so um, we we really have this broad focus for the BHCs. It's not just mental health, but it's helping people make make small behavior changes. And and I say that because how you how you redefine success in behavior change is really important. So we often think of behavior change as this, um, you know, I need to go from couch to marathon, but really it could be from couch to walking around the block, and that mm -hmm. is important. And so really highlighting those successes. And so we, we used, uh, you know, common trainings like motivational interviewing, uh, behavioral activation, and put together an in-house training that really focuses on what is it like to use these tools in the NUCA system of care. And so we train all of our medical teams, uh, providers, case managers, integrated pharmacists, our medical assistants, on some version of, the, of motivational interviewing with the idea that every opportunity is an opportunity for an intervention. So again, back to that example of checking somebody in during their appointment and are you still smoking, instead of just yes or no, the medical assistant can, can respond in a way that, you know, well, what prevents you from reducing your smoking? So really making the conversation something that is a shared responsibility amongst all of the healthcare team. We, of course, also have other services like our health education department, uh, where we have classes and exercise physiologists. We have integrated physical therapy. So we've just layered on so many different layers of trying to capture people in their readiness, willingness, and ability to make behavior change and meeting them where they're at rather than creating hurdles for them to get to a, to a different place. Well, I love the idea that everyone on the team's a coach. And every interaction is more important to engage change than it is to have a perfect treatment plan. And I, love, I don't know if you call that your motto or if I don't know if you call it one of your pillars, but, but the idea that every interaction is an opportunity for change and that that's far more important than just having a perfect treatment plan. Because if they don't implement the treatment plan, what good is it? Well, and, and yes to all of that, and I would say that the, um, you know, we often think of treatment plans as the roadmap, but they need to be revised all the time um, because life gets in the way. And so sometimes customer owners are going to be more comfortable engaging with their provider, their medical provider, sometimes it's their behavioral provider. So providing an, a, you know, a platform that allows us to constantly revise this, this plan and have everybody working together um, and sometimes, you know, certain providers are more in the driver's seat than others with the customer owner, and that's what works for people. We don't want a model that says you have to, you have to do it this way because that just doesn't work for people. Right. Well, and, and I think one of the huge change. I mean, this is one of the things that separates Nuka far from the rest of the deficit-based healthcare system that we experience throughout the world, and that is that when it's not about just offering a healthcare system when you fall off the cliff. 
I love Dr. Eby's description that we're not trying to just do health care. We're trying to produce health. Our focus is the health of our members. And when you look at health, only about 20 to 25% is what we do to someone. It's that science of medicine. Where 75% is the person's own ownership and how they handle and manage their, their health. And so the fact that Nuka has specifically said, we're going to have a balanced approach to meeting our customers' needs. We're actually going to balance the focus of the providers, just like the needs of the customers. So 75% of our focus is going to be on engaging people in change, where 25% will be on creating a perfect treatment plan. It's what the person needs to create health, and that is so significantly different than the healthcare system that we know. The deficit-based healthcare system has no clue that 75% of the focus should be on helping people change. It, it puts all of the focus on the science. And it's like, we're the institution of medicine. Come be the benefactors of our great wisdom when you fall off the cliff. And that right. doesn't create health. No. That's not the essence of health. No. Well, and you, so many, so many good nuggets in what you just said. And there's just one I want to pull out a little bit, which is the idea of, um, you know, the providers, the medical providers as well. Because when, when you're working in that way of um, engage with us when you fall off the cliff, there's so much complexity that our medical teams are dealing with. And so how we define complexity always makes me chuckle because we think of this medical complexity, but there's psychosocial complexity, there's family complexity, there's so many different layers to it. And so our provider teams feel very overwhelmed in how to be the best support for people when we're playing reactive medicine. And so when we're playing you know, when we're, when we're staying on top of it and being proactive, the teams are more likely to engage the BHC because they're not feeling as overwhelmed and they also want to learn. They want to learn how to help people in a, in a different way. So having the time to be proactive and be intentional versus being reactive, which drives us to be in crisis mode, really helps promote that individual family and community wellness in such a more robust way. Well, and let's expand on that a little bit. I love the storytelling that you use and the fact that everybody has a story and they need to have the time to tell the story and that you want to take the time to listen to the story. Talk a little bit about how building those relationships, and I love that the conference you put on a few weeks ago, how you literally put a tremendous amount of focus in two full days if people were willing to experience those last two days on how to build relationships. It's like, we don't teach that in medical school, and yet you understand how critically important it is. And talk about how the storytelling and how you use that to build those relationships. Sure, absolutely. So um, one of our one of the, the core things that we do for all employees is um, have all employees attend what we call a three-day training called Core Concepts. And the idea of Core Concepts ha is, is really about joy in the workplace, understanding wellness, but really learning to listen to story, learning to listen to what the customer owner is sharing with you, how to respond in a way that is healthy and effective and not harmful, and, um, and learning to listen to what they're not saying. So we always talk about it as kind of putting the human back in medicine, where we're, we're actually saying, we want you to slow down and listen. We want you to get curious and ask questions and be in relationship. And not just with your customer owners, but also with your employees, with your coworkers. And so Core Concepts also teaches tools around communication and relationship building, because we know when teams are working at their most optimal level, 
they are going to be more effective for their customer owners. So some of the ways we practically do this is um, by being intentional about appointment time. So, you know, we certainly have productivity standards like any healthcare system, but we're looking more at health outcomes rather than volumes-based. And so if a customer needs a 30-45 minute appointment because we know um, that what is valuable to them is coming in and sharing the story, then we're going to do that for them. We're not going to force them into a, you know, a 15-10 minute appointment. Um, and then we also really just encourage people to understand the story behind somebody's eyes. What is going on with that customer that is preventing them from coming in? So using some of our tools that we teach in for concepts, advocacy and inquiry, getting curious, um, again, responding in a way that's healthy that promotes people to share more. Because if you're sharing your story and you feel shut down, you're not likely to share more. If you feel heard and supported, you're likely to share more. And the more you share, the more kind of nuggets of wisdom there are for us to understand the customer and work with them in a way that is most effective for them. Nice. I would encourage our attendees, if any of you have any questions, feel free to use the control box to send in those questions. I'll be happy to ask those of Melissa. Let's talk about the sharing circles. One of the things I got to experience during your conference was a 45-minute sharing circle. And, and I was so impressed with the fact that you've used these sharing circles throughout your membership over time to just bring like people who have like problems together and share those. And I was so impressed with how eight complete different strangers within a few minutes facilitated by a NUCA representative could literally open up and begin sharing. Talk about how you leverage those sharing circles to enhance health and well-being. Absolutely. Um, so kind of two thoughts. So part of our core concepts training is the idea of immersing, immersing yourself in stories. So you mentioned that idea of, of having eight strangers being in a sharing circle where you share part of your story. And every time I do that, I'm so struck by the commonalities that we have. You can have mm -hmm. people from all over the world, all over the country, and there's always a common thread that unites that group. And that is always incredibly powerful. And so we took that model that we had been deploying in core concepts as well as our Beauty for Ashes program through Family Wellness Warriors Initiative and said, what would this look like to deploy across our healthcare system? So in that menu of services, we have a variety of learning circles that our customer owners can attend um, or the community really can attend. And often they're topic-based, but it's the idea of pulling people together for that connectivity. So it could be a wellness activity that involves exercise. It could be a wellness activity that involves uh, weaving in culture, so beating or drumming, um, where people can just learn to connect. And it could be one that's more topic-focused, Anxiety 101, where people can come and learn and share part of their story at the same time. And then depending upon the type of services somebody is receiving, we do have more kind of closed learning circles where they might mirror more like group therapy. But the idea is that you don't have to do that. You can engage at the level that you're ready and willing to engage in. And of course, the pandemic has challenged this because we had to turn all of this virtually. Right. But in some ways, it's created, um, it's made it easier for people to attend. And so we've learned a lot about these virtual learning circles and um, you know the types of activities that work and don't work in them but also in some ways how to reach more people because of the flexibility of being able to pop on Zoom or some other platform 
um, and carry that out. But really the idea of building connection with each other around a common topic to facilitate relationship, cultural healing, and um, just community, community relationships. So we only have a few more minutes, but we can't talk about NUCA without talking about your passion organizationally wide for continuous improvement. Yes. Malcolm Baldrige has recognized you twice as the best healthcare system, but, but more importantly has recognized you as one of the best continuous quality improvement organizations of any industry. Talk about how you weave that continuous improvement process into your organization, what you do, and how that's been so important and so critical to be able to respond to the newnesses of the pandemic. One of the things that is amazing about working here is how quickly we all adapt. And I think it is, like you said, it's weaved into the culture. There's a change, so whether it's a pandemic, an earthquake, or standing up a vaccine clinic really quickly, we just pull together very, very quickly. And it is based in our model of continuous improvement. So we have certainly our, our model of improvement that we use. We have a functional committee structure that supports um, ensuring quality throughout the organization. Uh, we have different, different outcome measures, a very robust um, data platform that allows us to look at data real time and respond to it and, and look at how are people performing. So we allow people to work together as a team in the way that works for them so long as their quality measures are where we would like them to be. But every employee also has a performance development plan and it has four buckets and it's the same four buckets for um, a front desk administrative um, you know, a staff to our president CEO. And one of those buckets is improvement and innovation. And so we expect everybody in the organization and we want everybody in the organization to be responsible for helping with continuous quality improvement. What that looks like might vary based on your job, but it's something we teach from the very, very beginning and then weave into so many different aspects of, of our system. And I do think that helped us be very agile and adaptive to the pandemic very early on and continue to be depending upon the needs that are changing. Nice. So I have to ask you, what are some of those other buckets that everybody has? Yeah, great question. So uh, customer care and relationships, uh, teamwork and communications, improvement and innovation, and then skills, abilities, and professional development. And so everybody has those four buckets, and then there's different goals and objectives and measures based on your job type. But for improvement and innovation, we want anybody to suggest improvements. So if there's a improvement that could be made to enhance efficiency in the check-in process, and um, we have an employee who's been with us six months, we want to hear what that is. Um, and we ground everything that we do in our relationship-based system. So our operational principles spell the word relationship. And we, before we implement a change, we really look at, does it fit those different buckets and relationships? And if it does, let's try it. And if it doesn't, then we think about, okay, it doesn't, it doesn't support our philosophy. It doesn't support our operational principles. Is there a different way to do it that might support our operational principles? Nice. I actually really loved how you take the word relationship and each letter means a different thing. And then you take the word wellness and each yep. thing means a different thing. Now, think about a traditional deficit-based healthcare system or a physician going to school and learning how to be a doctor. A relationship and wellness is not a part of that. And yet when you look at the objective as creating health, not just fixing someone when they fall off the cliff, 
it makes all the sense in the world. Melissa, is there anything, we're getting kind of close to the end of our 30 minutes, is there anything that we haven't had a chance to talk about that you would like to share in closing that, that would be helpful for our attendees? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that um, the thing that I'm just sitting in right now is um, this idea that those of us that went into the helping profession, whatever that is, went into it for a reason. And so, as you mentioned, a deficit-based healthcare system can kind of take that joy out of it. And so, one of our goals is really to, again, create a, a, a system that is supporting our community, our customer owners, but we also want it to be a great place to work. And employee wellness is hugely important, important to the services that we deliver. And so, I, I think that all of the tools that we've talked about today really do support that idea of employee wellness and that that is a fundamental part of having quality care. Nice. Melissa, thank you so much. This You're has welcome. been so delightful. Have a wonderful day. Thank you very much.